Welcome to the Beer in a Movie podcast, a podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. And this week, I think we're probably on the latter end of that thing, but we'll get to that in just a moment. This is David Gurney. I'm here with... Ethan Thompson. And... Carlos Cooper. And what are we doing this week, Ethan? Well, we've talked uh, several times about how, you know, we we usually, we typically do um, a, a recent movie, and, and sometimes it's something that's still in theaters when people get can uh, get their hands on the podcast, and maybe it isn't, and then sometimes we'll combine... Uh, with uh, something recent, with something older. Uh, but we want to do some that are just deliberately only composed of films that have been around for a while, that haven't been in theaters for a while, and have some special themes. So one of the things that we've kicked around is uh, talking about looking at, yeah, those movies that are not the highest uh, art form, uh, <laughs> uh, examples of the art form, the stuff that hasn't done very well. Right. Because uh, we have, we've seen, especially with uh, just being summer, a lot of these big budget summer movies and talked about them. So what we're doing in this episode is we're going to look at some flops. We're going to look at some of the biggest flops. And there's a lot of flops, <laughs> right? There sure are. There sure are. Yeah. There are a lot of flops. So what we're going to do for this episode is uh, we focused on the 1990s. And... Um, I chose three films from the 1990s that are among the biggest flops of all time. And what I wanted to do is I, I kind of looked through the list of the biggest flops in the 90s, and I picked out those films, um, none of which I'd actually seen, uh, that, that are, are kind of more notorious, but that also had uh, stars um, associated with them. And there are, if you go, you can go to Wikipedia and search like biggest flops of all time. And there's some great lists there where you can get the different amounts of money and so forth. But these are films, they define it very simply, like the where there's the greatest difference between how big the budget was and then how little money it made. Right. 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 And um, so there's, you know, of course, lots of movies that don't make very much money. But these films, they cost a whole hell of a lot of money. Right. And sometimes even the films that you think are really huge flops, ultimately, even though they don't do so great in the United States, maybe over time they make a mo- uh, enough money back. So they're not such a big flop. For example, one of the films that we had thought about discussing it turns out is not really a flop. That's right. <laughs> and that would be Waterworld. Yes. Uh, starring Kevin Costner. Which was notorious in its moment for having such a large budget, right? It yeah. was one of the first films to go over $100 million, Yeah, I was believe it? so, yeah. yeah. But, and, and at the time, mostly critically panned, didn't make the money that they thought it should at the box office, right. at least to in justify the, in the, the American, budget. In the American market. It, but then eventually, well, it just took a while, but right. it did home well video, overseas. And international market, yeah. 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 And lo and behold, it's not on the list of the biggest flops of the 90s. No. However, some films that are, and that we will talk about, are, we're going to go chronologically, Hudson Hawk. Yes, 1991. Bruce Willis. We've talked about Bruce Willis on the show, and it keeps <laughs> coming up again. So I thought, I wish let's do stop. Hudson Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> well, we may have to. Uh, I think that I've had about enough uh, for, for some time. Uh, Cutthroat Island yes. from 1995, right. starring Classic. Gina Davis. Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine, and we will definitely talk about the those two actors in this thing. Uh, and then 
our friend Kevin Costner, Waterworld may have ended up making money, but the postman did not. Yes, he does not escape unscathed from the 90s. No, no. no. So that He's film, which came out in 97. <laughs> uh, so those we'll, are the We'll films. get there. We'll get there. So we're well, going to... The, the idea here is uh, I should stop talking. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, I mean... The, the whole idea is that uh, these... In this case, we're going to save you the pain, I think. Uh, although Carlos might argue. Or, or, or maybe stimulate your have, interest. Who yeah, knows? yeah. We're going to maybe talk a little bit more about what happens in these films and uh, our reactions to them and, and try to kind of understand, maybe, um, how, why did these things come into being and maybe what went horribly wrong. Right. And so for this episode, um, the, the first beer that, that I brought to share with us, <laughs> Um, you know, Ethan's been using the term flop, but but another term that we could use is bomb, the box yes. office bomb. And for for those uh, who are beer aficionados, you may have heard of the Prairie Artisan Ales. This is a brewery out of Oklahoma. Um, they have a series of beers that they do that are these very hefty imperial stouts that they call bomb. And they have variants of it uh, that, that they release at different times. There's a Christmas bomb. There's uh, some others. And this one happens to be a bottle of the birthday bomb that they do. So it's an imperial stout aged on coffee, cacao nibs, vanilla beans, and chili peppers. So I'm going to crack this open. And boy, these movies may suck, but I'm going to guess that this beer I doesn't. bet that's a good one. Now, while you're opening and pouring that... I'm also looking at this list that Ethan mentioned uh-huh. earlier. You want to mention some of the ones we're not doing? Well, I just want to, I mean, Ali. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was. I mean, now, okay, so Ali came out in 2001. I'm nine um, at that time. But I, even at nine years old, I remember that movie, and I remember the release of it, and I remember hearing about it. And Will Smith was Oscar nominated for it. Yeah. Um, you know? It just didn't bring in the audience. I get, I mean, but... I'm just, I'm I'm surprised to see it on here because even as a nine year old, I was aware of it and it was in my world a really big deal and I really wanted to see it because it looked yeah. so cool and I knew who Muhammad Ali was and I thought he was badass and I liked Will Smith because I had seen Men in Black and yada yeah. yada yada and so you know as even being so young and not really being a discerning film goer I was aware of it yeah. and. I'm just I'm surprised yeah. that it reached me at that age, but still well, didn't reach and, so and, many other people. And I think that's one that actually did pretty well yeah, critically, yeah. even if it didn't land well at the box. Well, office. and honestly, I'm looking at the numbers here, and it's not. I'm kind of surprised that it makes the list because it it's just because it costs so much money for no good reason. Yeah, uh, 107 million dollars. Salary, I guess. You know, and it Location, it made 87 shooting. million according to this. Right. So. That versus, uh, for example, let's see one that we're going to talk about, so I can go ahead and get it out there. Well, I mean, the postman was eighty million and only made twenty million. Yeah, you know, right. uh, Cutthroat Island, a hundred million made eighteen million. Right, right, right. So generally, there's a great, gr- much greater disparity. Ali, how did they spend one hundred seven million? I haven't. I seen think it's film. the location shooting. Okay. Right. It would be my guess because yeah, it's not like and uh, we'll the, the, the effects. Yeah, yeah, that probably. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure he got paid a lot. I mean, he was. Top Pretty of his big, game, yeah. Then. yeah, I mean, yeah that's absolutely. Peak. But I chose uh, movies, like I said, that I thought would be uh, well. They're they're kind of action oriented films. I wanted to see stuff because if if a movie's going to cost a whole lot of money, yeah, I want it, you know, to have gone into like some spectacle, right? Hopefully, right. Uh, and, and that may or may not be the case with these films. We'll talk about that. Yeah. So 
so starting with that first film, that, Hudson that Hawk, Hudson Hawk, Hudson 1991. Hawk, 1991, Bruce Willis. Tell us where Bruce Willis was at this moment. Bruce Willis at this moment uh, was he was d- doing very well. Yeah, no, right? he had just come off the big successes of he, Die back Hard to back and Die si- Hard Two, back back to back successes of Die Hard. Look who's talking, Die Hard oh, Two. That's right. Look who's talking too. So those were all very successful. Yeah, I right. was able to knock out those those Look Who's Talking films. That's right. Uh, but also do, the Diehards, right? Yeah. Who uh, and and those films were actually produced by this same person, Joel Silver, right? Who's one of the the key uh, producers of the 1980s and early 90s, um, along with guys like Jerry Bruckheimer, Don, uh, Don Simpson of the big like action oriented, right. very successful films. So Joel, Joel Silver produced 48 Hours, Commando, Predator, Lethal Weapon, in addition to the Die Hard movies, as well as Roadhouse. Throw that one Ooh. out there. Um, but anyway, uh, this film is I think the idea was that they thought that they, well, I don't think it's obvious. They thought that they were going to have like an action comedy, right? Yeah. So like Lethal Weapon or 48 Hours. Right. That, that, that somehow they would replicate that. To some extent, that. Die Hard. Die Hard has that little bit of humor yeah. in it. And actually, when we talked way back about um, uh, the Death Wish film, right. I even said, well, you know, with Bruce Willis, you're really expecting some comedy. Yeah. And this was supposed to have comedy. Uh, I will say this though. So Bruce Willis had those hits, uh, big big hits, and Die Hard, the Die Hards, and Look Who's Talking. But right before this film came out, he was also in another huge flop, Bonfire of the Vanities. That's right. But so, that but that wasn't really his film, I, right? I, I know. Right. What you mean. I hear you. Yeah. He was in it, but th- but that one uh, was that De Palma. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And 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 Melanie Griffith. Right. And, you know, it, it it is one of the like. There's a whole book about what a mess that, that right. making that movie right. was not so I don't, I don't think people were blaming him so much but this is definitely Hudson Hawk meaning this uh, is a Bruce Willis film this yeah. is the only screen well it's not even screenwriting it's story by yeah, credit yeah. that he's ever had <laughs> this is a pretty thin one <laughs> uh, but, but, but no but, but I did want to say you know like I do think that this is kind of like a turning point for him in terms of this he did have this sort of down period yeah. here um, that maybe was kicked off a little bit by that bonfire yeah, of the vanities, yeah. which performed so poorly. But then this was just such an awful failure. Yeah. And he had a the last Boy Scout was another film that didn't perform as well as everyone expected it to. Yeah. Uh, Death Becomes Her was another one. It, right. He just kind of had this dip, and then when Pulp Fiction came out in '94, yes. it was kind of oh yeah, remember we like Bruce Willis. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. The, and and then he went on to have many other successes and 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 some failures, but still right. You know, as, as so this to the, the what it's about, uh, it's again pretty thin. Mm-hmm. But so the story is that he's a cat burglar, right? Who's been in jail for like ten years, and who doesn't love a cat burglar film? Right, right, yeah, <laughs> right, right. He he really thought he was going to channel, I think, some uh, Cary Grant charade or something. With yeah, this. I don't know. Uh, but he gets out of jail for 10 years, uh, and then um, it kind of immediately gets sucked back into the, the life of stealing stuff, um, although it makes a lot less sense. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, not only is he... he it's funny, because uh, when I started this film up, and I again, I hadn't seen it before, I really think I somehow escaped this somehow in 1991. Well, you, you and everybody else. Well, yeah, right. But I, I, I also did see some really bad films then, too. Yeah. Uh, but... I have, I thought I had the wrong movie. 
Because it starts out, and it's all about Leonardo da Vinci. Right. Right? Yes. We're in the yeah, past. That, that, that elongated prologue there yes. at the beginning. Yes. Because the story is that he's going, he's, he's drafted and sort of conned or uh, blackmailed, sort of. By his parole officer, and then these mafioso types. <laughs> and these crazy, this crazy couple. The Mario couple. brothers. The, and... <laughs> And Sandra Bernhardt uh, and her husband, I can't remember the actor's name, but they uh, like Grant, Richard Grant, yeah. It's all a plot to like for world domination. Yes. That's what it actually it has to do with like, well, like the whole European. This machine that can turn lead into gold, right? Yeah, it, alchemy. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. Alchemy. Who doesn't oh. love an alchemy story, huh? Yeah. yeah. So the, the tone of the film. I don't know what they were doing except for cocaine. Like lots of co- <laughs> what they were thinking. You know, I just One watched. Thing we can say for sure. There was a lot of. Yeah. I, and I just watched the Bruce Willis roast. I don't know if you. They, no, they, they I just had. I didn't Bruce, know that they had aired yes, that already. Because I do want to oh. see that. Yeah, just a few weeks ago. And um, did Danny Aiello show on? <laughs> I, I don't believe, but there were a number of people that talked about him just In doing prestigious amounts of cocaine oh, uh, wow. and and blaming a lot on. That. So I don't. This is one of those films where everyone seems to think that they're really making something great. Yeah, but they weren't. Yeah, well, uh, it's it it is. It was befuddling because I like <laughs> it, it is completely. It makes no sense. That's no. a that's a great word. Yeah, I, I mean, going into this, like Ethan, I I knew the name of the film because I remember. You know, I was old enough to be aware that it was happening, and the, and yeah. I had seen the Die Hard movie, and I had certainly seen the Look Who's Talking movies. So you know. I was aware of Bruce Willis and Moonlighting, and it, and I knew this movie Hudson Hawk was coming out. It was a summer film. It was you know supposed to be a big budget, whatever. Yeah. And then I just kind of remember it disappearing, and yeah. never really hearing about it again, and never hearing people talk about it, and kind of forgotten about it. So I had never seen it, and going into it, like you say, you get this weird prologue with Leonardo da Vinci and this kind of machine that he's built, and all this stuff that's going on. Um, and then it brings us to present day, where we have this cat burglar, played by Bruce Willis, um, who, whose actual name I can't even remember, but his nickname is Hudson Hawk, um, who's supposed to be charming as all get out, right? That's how it should work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if this movie was to work, it would have to, it's all about his ability through charisma to convince us that this suave, debonair cat burglar who's been in prison forever is so charming and fun to watch that you just want to watch whatever he does. And it just feels like this huge inflated ego of a film. That's like, all... Like they had done a whole bunch of cocaine yeah. and thought that it was really good. Right. It is. It, it feel, it, it's, Bruce Willis is trying to cruise on his charm. Yeah. Like if he's, just oh, yeah. on, he, if he's on screen, he's just going to be so charming and, if you and you won't good, actually have to connect one scene to the next because have, it doesn't make any sense. Right. If you have good screenwriting and good character relationships and stuff, maybe his charm, his charm can work. I've right, seen it. Right, I was right. going gonna, gonna to ask if he, is he charming? Well, I think that, I think that what they were trying to do, it, it's almost as if they were trying to recapture like a good episode of Moonlighting. Like yeah. It, in Moonlighting, it could work um, because it was also this romantic comedy and there's this great chemistry between them, even though in real life they apparently hated each other. Uh, um, uh, uh, Sybil Shepard. Sybil Shepard, yeah, right. right, and Bruce Willis. 
And they also would have, Moonlight would have had some really great episodes. They had a, a Taming of the Shrew episode. They would do these musical numbers. They would do all these kinds of things. Well, and he, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but Bruce Willis, and this was actually a few years before it, in 87, actually released an yes. album, yes. Return of Bruno. Yes. That was... <laughs> and, and he and he and what Look was that his, up on Discord? And he plays oh, a lot of I've harmonica. I've had copies of it. Really? Yeah. Uh, first of all, better or worse than the Eddie Murphy all, album? You know, oh, much worse. That this much is worse. the record emporium of South Texas. Yeah, oh, and that absolutely. If, uh, we're recording in my record store for those at home. Um, I'm doing this grand gesture. Uh, <laughs> He's pointing I, to the surroundings. Uh, the surroundings. Yeah, I I have had. Um, I think two different copies of it. It's a ridiculous album. <laughs> and there is, surprisingly enough, there is a uh, a gentleman who I don't think works there anymore. I haven't seen him in a while, but that, you know, worked at the local um, liquor store beer outlet that we, most of us purchase our, yeah. our wares from. And uh, who specifically asked me for that album. Bear? And, Bear asked you for that? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, asked me for that album. Um, since he's asked me for it, I have not been able to find it. I found a cassette copy of it once uh-huh. that I think I paid a quarter for Yeah. Um, that I gave him. I just I found it, and I was like, you know what? This is the only person in the world that wants this album. Uh-huh. And I was like, here, I found this cassette copy. You can have it. Was and, Respect um, Yourself the single? Like, there was a video for, for but it, and I think just, it was Respect Yourself. Just the album art on its own is crazy crazy mm-hmm. uh look at him <laughs> that that is basically his look in this just smirking like <laughs> yeah. satisfaction why did he make a record he had well no according business. to his it, according to his roast it was cocaine <laughs> i believe I, I believe I that that is that. the only explanation so for it. Th- but now okay and, and, sorry yeah. to digress no 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 i mean but, it is one of the craziest is, records and I've it's ever part come of across. it's part of the hook of this film right so this character is supposed to have these kind of quirky personality oh god yes that right, endear right. him to us right and one, one of, of which them is his singing right <laughs> yes. that that he and his partner played by danny aiello he's uh, who I, who actually i do kind of i mean we were talking about do the right thing not yeah too long he, ago yeah this. he followed and that so, up with the <laughs> <laughs> squandered that uh, yeah. cultural capital that he had gained with it. but um you know you have them and the way that they time out their uh their crimes their their burglaries is that they pick a song that they know the exact running time of and it's and like they, 40s crooner type stuff usually yeah, right? yeah like 50s 60s okay. you know like right r&b but like uh, yeah anyway they uh swinging on a star that's one of them Mm -hmm. right um and they go through and they're singing it and that is supposed to be this like really charming happy aren't these guys cool yeah right don't you love them but this is okay this is 1991 right like this is if you're thinking about popular music in 1991 and where things were at right you're you're coming out of maybe the hair metal uh era into the the grunge era slash the the rise of hip hop and R and B on the charts in the nineties and these guys are just so it's so disconnected from that it's like they're throwing it back to the Rat Pack they're trying to yeah. be like Sinatra and James Dean or not James Dean uh, <laughs> Dean Martin Dean Martin, Dean Martin thank yeah. you Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> so you're, you they're trying to be Rat Pack burglars um, in a way that the Rat Pack themselves were and I mean if you see Ocean's Eleven they're not singing songs while right, they do it. Right. You know, it, 
and it that's supposed to be charming and to me it just felt like now certainly but even then thinking back it's like this is so weirdly anachronistic how did they think this would be a cool hook <laughs> that would make people think oh this is a fun character that i want to watch do things throughout this film pair that with renaissance it has, it's, it's a sure thing dave yeah yeah die hard die hard too Oh, so weird. Bruce and Willis. Bring in the Vatican with the Andy bring, McDowell character yeah, poor, that she's yeah. like this nun who's That's like the, tied into the... Andy McDowell's nun. And love interest. Yeah. Somehow. Yes, right. Um, Why is, not? <laughs> my favorite moment, though, is um, Sandra Bernhardt singing I Got the Power by mm. Snap. That's a little... Well, she's got like, headphones on, yeah, right? Yeah. So you're getting her version All you of, get is her saying, yeah. I got the power. <laughs> I got the power. Like, that's when... Oh, you know, my God. This is 1990. So 91. weird. And the CIA stuff, you get a young David Caruso in there. Oh, and yes. This, like, mute character who just gives everybody little and business cards. he looks cards. like he's 18 years old, too. Yeah. That's a funny thing. Yeah. He'll be on NYPD Blue in just, like, one more year or That's so. right. That's but, right. Uh, yeah. So weird. I mean, it's just the the combination of different cultural sort of uh, touchstones that they put in there. It it was, like I said earlier, befuddling. I was watching and I'm just, I cannot imagine how this film, other than the fact that you have a star who has risen in Bruce Willis, who is making huge money with these other films, had this concept, apparently him and this guy, yeah, uh, Kraft, Kraft, right? Um, who went on to do like music? What did, what was he's this? In mu- yeah, he's uh, like head of Fox Music or Fox something. Mu- yeah, so like he's not had his, not a screenwriter apparently. But not. this was like an idea they had cooked up when they were like yeah. nobodies, and and then suddenly Bruce Willis has this power, and I'm sure Joel Silver or whoever is like, hey, you got any ideas in the hopper that you've wanted to do? This is the time to do it. We can get you know, a budget yeah. for whatever we want to do. Well, I did have this character, Hudson Hawk. That <laughs> and people like my record. It it went to number 14 on yeah. the, to the album chart. So. It went to number 14, like, just in general, not yeah. on, like, a specific no. genre chart, no. but just the top 100. The billboard, yes. yeah. Top 200 is what yeah. it said. That is so bonkers insane. I, I looked up, I tried to find uh, some some information, just, like, if anyone has gone back and written, like, the history of these and I didn't have much luck, but I did find some reviews that I thought were kind of funny. Like the Variety review said, ever wonder what a Three Stooges short would look like with a $40 million budget? <laughs> <laughs> Although that seems generous to me. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Then no, meet, no, yeah. I mean, I actually enjoy the Stooges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, meet Hudson Hawk, a relentlessly annoying clay duck that crash lands in a sea of wretched excess and silliness. Oh, God. Uh, and then it's... And I thought this was a little bit, this was kind of hits it too. The film primarily gives Willis a chance to toss off poor man's moonlighting one-liners in the midst of utter chaos. Yeah. And that is kind of like, it is just trying to get by on charm. I, I, I thought it was, you know, I did look and see the, who, who directed it. Mm-hmm. And it, it is one of those films that it's really not that important ultimately. Uh, he didn't have a vision or anything. Except, this is about except well, for the fact that it kind of seems to have derailed this guy's career yeah, in a weird yeah, way. Yeah. So he made, but he did make Heather's. Yeah, Heather's, and that was like his one big film. And then he did this, and no, not his, he, one, not his one big film. Uh, 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 My Giant with Billy Crystal. No, if we're talking about the same, I I no. just looked it up a second ago. Um, the guy that directed Hudson Hawk. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Lehman. He did Airheads, which was actually okay, pretty Airheads. funny. All right. But that, but that forty was, days and forty nights. 
Yeah, I that, that, my memory of that movie is being a, a pretty big deal. Maybe um, I, think I, I don't even know that, what the hell that, that was. That is. Harrison? No, no, it wasn't Harrison Ford. It was Josh Hartnett. What was I thinking of there? Well, it's, he's it's, done it's, it's Josh Hartnett. TV. I, you're thinking Seven Days and Seven Nights. Yes. Um, okay. No, sorry, I was thinking of uh, the guy that directed uh, Cutthroat Island, Randy Harlan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. not he, go. There. He we're did about some good to go. We're, 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 we're almost there. Yeah, yeah. So I got ahead of myself. Anyway, I think uh, yeah, and 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 also um, to top it all off, Frank Stallone. Yeah. Well, yeah. hey. When I looked this movie up and I saw Frank Stallone's name, <laughs> I was like, "What the <laughs> hell is going on here?" I mean, first of all, I forgot that that dude existed. Um, he he was involved in some controversy in the last couple of years hmm. about something. I can't remember what it was, but that was the. The f- in the last few years was the first time I'd ever even heard of him because he was making a fuss about something or another. He yeah. was a he's a Norm Macdonald go to punchline. Is that when right? he would do, when he was doing love Norm Macdonald? Yeah, he would just like that. And Frank Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've well, we yeah. So we've I think it's time quite for you guys to talk about, about the beer now. Hudson, I think we're done yeah, with Hudson. Yeah, Hall. we have to talk about. The beer. I mean, the, the bottom line: this thing is just so weird, and and I do, I do have to just mention the the. Like just so they try to make a running joke out of the idea that he wants a cappuccino and he hasn't had one in prison and he keeps getting thwarted and it was like such a I don't know it's just like every little character quirk that they gave this character just made me hate that character more and more and more it just I could not to top it off too this is the one of the three films yeah. this is the one you and I actually paid money to watch that's right and I don't know about available you. streaming uh, for free no anywhere not, that so I could find. we yeah. both I think uh, got it through Amazon yeah. pay-per-view or whatever yeah. Yeah. did you spring for the high definition I did I did you have not. to I did I did not I was like if, if I'm I gonna love this it. film it's gonna be all about the set design well, I gotta I, see <laughs> <laughs> well I'll tell you so it was $3.99 or $2.99 and I went $2.99 oh. but I will say that there there's an upside to that. In standard definition, it looks that much more like a moonlighting episode. There you go. So, okay. you know, okay. yeah, kind of yeah. like, oh. Well, it, so I will say it does help, as our intro says, that uh, as bad as this movie was, that I'm drinking this delicious birthday bomb. I will say that since we adopted that intro, this is the most accurate mm. that the latter part of that intro yeah. has been. Because... Uh, Everything you guys have said sounds crazy. I mean, uh, <laughs> but not but, crazy enough to be fun, Carlos. That's the no, thing. That's so the let's thing. be clear right. about this. It, I would not recommend it, anyone watching well, see, this. Well, here's the thing. For I, any don't, reason. I don't like Bruce Willis in the first place. Yeah, I, that, I mean, then there's I'm no not, chance of you. I'm not interested in Bruce Willis. I don't. I don't want to see anything that Bruce. The only Bruce Willis movie that I'm really that interested in seeing that I haven't seen yet is Cop Out. Oh, I but, knew you were going to say that. But 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 it's only that. because I'm such Kevin a Kevin Smith. It's Kevin it's only Smith. because I'm such a Kevin Smith fan and not just because I am a Kevin Smith fan that I want to watch it because I want to see everything he's done, anything like that. I know it's going to be garbage, but because I'm a fan of Kevin Smith as a podcaster, I've heard so many stories about the production of that movie. Oh, really? And I've heard so many stories about what a nightmare Bruce Willis was is on the right? set of them. Oh, I mean, he has Kevin Smith has stories for days and days. I mean, he talks about it at least yeah. four or five times a year on oh, a podcast. Well, in that case, and so I want to see it just to, cause I have that context of the yeah. production of it. I just want to see like, does any of that really come across? And I mean, I will say, uh, the whole nine yards is good. Die hard yeah. is fine. Uh, uh, how about a little movie called moonrise kingdom? 
Yeah, yeah. Bruce Willis is in that. Yeah, oh, yes. yeah, he's the sheriff, yeah. I haven't seen or that the, movie yeah. since I saw it in theaters. Yeah. yeah. It's been a really yeah. long time. Well, I don't know, I don't remember Bruce Willis. In, in the it, in the right I'll, doses. I'll, I'll give him a pass for Moonrise King. He's great in Pulp Fiction. In, in the right doses. Yeah, I mean, I mean, come on, though. That's, in the right uh, situations, Bruce yes. Willis can work. But this, but this is, is truly an, it, the epitome of overindulge that. And yeah. But hold on. But that's let's a, let's but, back up a second. Also, Nobody watches Pulp Fiction because they're a Bruce Willis fan. No. No. That's not why you go into no, that No, he movie. works again. Or Moonrise right Kingdom. Context. Yeah. Or this other movie that you're talking no. about. He can work. But, that, but you're right. Like that, this is an example of someone at, at the peak of his popularity. Right. And there is, I will say, in all these movies, and looking at movies like this, it is the best kind of schadenfreude. Because you can just really take pleasure in these people miserably failing. Yeah, I and being I, so I, bad. I do have to say, somehow I felt bad for Danny Aiello, even though okay, he, oh, that's, he seems okay. to be going along no, with I, it all. I, I, I'm just talking about, yeah. yeah, 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 like yeah. The, but Bruce Willis, yeah. the smugness, yeah. The, yeah. just assuming that the charm is exuding. So right. if you feel that way about him, you can actually watch this and just think, yeah. oh, you're going to failing. If it ever shows up on Netflix, I would watch the first... Well, not the first 10 minutes because that's the weird prologue, but watch like the second 10 minutes of it okay. <laughs> and, and you'll get a good sense. I mean, it. 20 minutes is fine. I could watch yeah. the first 20 yeah. minutes. Um, but to get back to the beer, yeah. as we do, um, Prairie Artisan Ales, the birthday bomb. As said before, this is an imperial stout <laughs> aged um, coffee, um, cacao, cacao nibs. nibs, cacao nibs, vanilla beans, and chili. The chili peppers is an interesting. It is uh, addition. It's it's um, kind of interesting because I've had other uh, other versions of this. That, that sounds like mole is what that sounds like. It does. Okay, it, mole it, is amazing. No, you're, that's a good and that is a really. Good I would connection. agree with that. Yeah. And it, the thing is, I've had it where the chili's been a little more pronounced. Here, it's on, very slightly on the back end. I like it. It's a nice it's good, little though, hint. Yeah. But um, but it could even it gives take it a little, little bite. Yeah. Um, thirteen percent. That's a full ass beer. It sure is. Um, what do you think about it? Have you have I, you had this birthday bomb? This batch of it. I have. This is one. I think it's from 2016, so it's a couple years old now, but it's still drinking pretty well. And I think it's. I think it has kind of mellowed out a bit. But okay. It's. I'm enjoying it. I like it a lot. I like it quite it's a bit. It's definitely I have to say. making me feel better about talking about this terrible movie. Yeah. It's. I mean, who knows how much I would have enjoyed this conversation before this beer. <laughs> well, here's uh, what I know. But I. Yeah. Big fan. I mean. If you've been listening to this show for as long as I've been on it, you know I'm a, I'm a big fan of the darker beer, so mm-hmm. it should be a no surprise to our listeners that I like this one. Yep. Um, would recommend. All right. And I know that our next film you are going to enjoy. Yeah. It's uh, going to be a we, whole different story because yeah, you, you let it be known that you're a fan. Yes, ba- which I was surprised. Again, so so now I guess we're segueing into Cutthroat Island. We yes. are. So the back half of this episode is going to be crazy. Uh, we're going to have a lot of differing opinions, but when we come back, we're going to talk about Cutthroat Island and The Postman, uh, I believe. Um, so yes. stay tuned.
All right. Yeah, we're going. We're rolling. Okay, we're back. So we're going to move on to talking about that second bomb of the 90s that that we've chosen to look at. The second and third. Yes, we'll we'll get to the third. We'll, yeah. Hopefully, but <laughs> it, it's the longest of all these movies. We'll see. So. Uh, yes, right by by far. But uh, the second being Cutthroat Island from 1995. Um, we, we earlier alluded to uh, Rennie Harlan as the director. Yep, um, and starring uh, most prominently Gina Davis and Matthew Modine. Yeah, after some some trouble there. He wasn't the first. That's choice. right. He was not the first. <laughs> Apparently, By a number means. of stars <laughs> yes. were, were being hit up. But who um, was the first choice? Well, was it Tom Cruise? No. So, Ooh, well, if I God. Uh, what uh, the story is, so I don't know. Do you want to summarize the film? It's a it's a pirate movie. It's yeah. It's, it's a pirate, pirate movie. movie. It's, a, it's swash, a pirate movie. Yeah. It's a swashbuckling pirate movie. Yeah. And that's really all you need to know. And right. Gina Davis is. Lady Pirate. Lady Pirate. Yeah. And then there's kind of this love interest slash competing pirate. Uh, Are they enemies or not? Who knows? That Matthew Modine plays, and his name is, I can't remember his name. It doesn't matter. Lady Pirate, male pirate. William Shaw. William Shaw. So this, but this is like a story, just big mess, start to finish production. And that's one of the reasons that ended up costing so much money on top of not making. Uh, any money? Yeah, I well, I I don't want to be, before maybe we get too far in. So a pirate movie, we do need another beer. I'm gonna, yeah, gonna crack one. open <laughs> this. Uh, also, I don't need another to talk about this movie. All right, <laughs> well, well, I'm gonna force you. Okay. The <laughs> Prairie Artisan Ales again. So the same brewery that we had uh, on the first half with the uh, the birthday bomb. This time, uh, going with the pirate theme, we have their Pirate Noir. This is also an imperial stout, but this one, to bring in the pirateness, is aged in Jamaican rum barrels. So I'll get this pouring. And that's and then where David our film is, opens. David is really Jamaica. playing to his audience. Hey, I'm uh, trying with this one. He, trying. Knows, he knows me. <laughs> he knows the kind of beer that I want. <laughs> So while I'm getting this open and pouring it, Carlos, tell us a little bit more about this uh, this film and its premise. Um, I, okay, so really, really uh, the most that I have to say about this movie is that uh, this this was a movie that was introduced to me by my father, um, who has a notorious track record for liking terrible movies. <laughs> he was like, this is one of the best pirate movies ever, and he... Uh, it was like this, and I think the movie's called Swashbucklers. Is a bit older, huh. like 60s or 70s. Uh, two pirate movies he showed me in kind of the same breath. And, um, you know, my dad's a guy that doesn't care a lot about plot necessarily. He's not looking for an emotional ride or whatever. My mom, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. She wants to cry. She wants these really intense kind of movies. And my dad's like, why are you always trying to be so depressed? Why do you want to watch these depressing movies? So... I watched this movie with my dad as a young man or as a, you know, like, uh, I don't know, it was probably 13 or 14 or something. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is badass, like these pirates fighting. Um, and for that, I think it's great. I think, I mean, even the Wikipedia article says, and I quote, the film had a notoriously troubled and chaotic production involving multiple rewrites and reca- recasts and received negative reviews for the script, acting, and unrealistic stunts, whereas the high production values, action sequences, shooting locations, and musical score were praised. Mm. And I think that those elements are worthwhile because it's fun. Those mm. things make it fun. I, I, yeah. 
Well, the Ethan problem disagrees. that I have, the problem that I have, okay? I just don't like pirate movies. <laughs> I, I love mean, pirate Bottom line. Pi- okay, Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, The Curse of the Black Pearl, is such a fucking good movie. And it's tainted by all of the sequels that came out of it. But if, <laughs> if they had never made a sequel, to, uh, uh, bleh, if they had never made a sequel to Pirates of the Caribbean and it had just been that one film uh-huh. on its own, uh-huh. I think that it would very easily be regarded as one of the greatest pirate movies ever I, made. I have no doubt. But to me, like the greatest pirate movie ever made is like the tastiest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I, I yeah. mean, I, honestly, and I get it. I get that there are certain genres that work for some people and other, and this is just one of those genres that to me has almost no and appeal. And it's a genre that basically was killed by this film until Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, and it, but there had been some other notable... In between? Uh, well, even just before this, there was the... Uh, oh, God. what I, I was I was just reading about this not, not that long ago. There was a... No, well, I, I, okay. I will say um, I'm not going to completely go against what you're saying, uh, Carlos, because... Actually, at moments, I thought, oh, my God, this is beautiful. The filmmakers, they they get zero credit for that. That's simply because they had enough money to shoot it in a beautiful place. Hmm. And the scenery was really gorgeous. But, oh, my. Davis. She, this film was supposed to turn her into an action star. Like, that's what, so the story is that she's married to Rennie Harlan, the director, Mm -hmm. who was establishing a track record, had done cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone, and he wants to turn Gina Davis into an action star. Mm-hmm. And she does not have the... Ma- casting someone in an action movie does not make you an action star. So for me, I think um, watching this film, you see like some glaring things missing, like a super charismatic performer such as Johnny Depp mm-hmm. <laughs> that you get, you know. <laughs> and also, fair. and That's it's fair. also not just this film, but watching these other films, it's kind of interesting to go back and watch movies in a different era of blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Like these were supposed to be blockbusters in their way, and they failed, you know. Right. So there's not great digital composition, special effects at all, of course, which those Pirates of the Caribbean movies are so dependent upon in addition to Johnny Depp just being compelling, right? Right. There's none of that. But for me, um, there's just terrible problems with the script and like it just, there's no establishment of Gina Davis as being an interesting character at all to me Mm -hmm. and and some some sort of badass at all, not at all. The, the, The stunts are just like terribly not, entertaining there's one where she's together with matthew modine and they're like going through the cave and he like falls off a cliff but he just has to push himself and sort of stumble over on the edge and it's just like so not suspenseful at all um there's there's beautiful scenes in it but just i i did watch the whole film i enjoyed it as like a cheesy movie however having watched it I, I did think they were crazy that they thought Gina Davis would be, become an action star. Well, no, she, you know, is, in the, the I would sad, agree with that too. And it, I agree that that she was somewhat miscast, but I don't know who who could have played that part and and made it really compelling or interesting. Um, though, if you look at th- there was uh, just after this, and it was with Rennie Harlan, they did the Long Kiss Goodnight, right, right. which is actually a pretty good action film. Um, with Gina Davis. I mean, so she's capable in the right setting yeah. of pulling off But this an is another film. comedy action combination too, which is so right. hard to do. Yeah. 
I, I have to. I can't go any further without acknowledging this. So, the story is that Michael Douglas was supposed to be the main, the male, like the a, Matthew uh, Levine character, yeah. like yeah. a Romancing right. the Stone type yes. of situation. So you can imagine that Romancing right? the Stone's yeah. a great movie. And yeah. you can see him pulling that role off, yeah. right? But supposedly, like he had very specific, you know, being a star demands, mm-hmm. and he got pissed off that Gina Davis's part was getting too big, um, and that they weren't moving quickly enough, so he dropped out. Mm-hmm. And then they tried to get a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. I'm working up to a punchline, guys. Okay, okay. So here's the list <laughs> of names of the different people that they tried to get before Matthew Modine. Because I don't know about you, I just like what really Matthew Modine. Yeah, he always Who had even a special place. You know movie. what? He's cowboy in Full Metal Jacket, and for that, that's great. <laughs> but besides that, what? Yeah, I've never seen it. Yeah, that's sad. Okay, well, well I can't even touch that. Well, All right, no, we. I I can defend myself on that one, but. I, you know, whatever. Yeah, you need to see that. We'll have to pull that into an episode. Yeah, you've got to see that film. Okay, so these are all the actors that said, no, we don't want to be in this movie. (laughs) I feel like you should have created a game out of this. Yeah, I should have. You're going to think I did when I read this list. Okay. Tom Cruise, Keanu Reeves. Oh, that would have been so good. (laughs) He would have been great. I love Keanu. But instead, he had to do like speed or something that was Uh, actually. Which actually made money. Yeah. Liam Neeson. (laughs) Interesting. Jeff Bridges. Liam Neeson has a very particular set of skills that he could have brought to this movie. <laughs> Ralph Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes? I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Ralph is what I call it. Anyway, of, uh, um, Shakespeare in Love. and Yeah. Grand Budapest Hotel fame. Right. Yes. Rafe. Rafe. Uh, Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Michael Keaton. Now they're starting to get, they're starting no, to get, but Michael, no, Michael Keaton could have done it. He could have, he but he didn't want to do it because no. this is a piece of crap. Yeah. No, Tim no. Robbins. Wow. He could have pulled it No, out. not no, Tim Robbins. Really? See, I'm not sure Too I soft. believe. I Too soft. Uh, How about Daniel Day-Lewis? <laughs> oh, wait, now that's, wow. That would have been fun would, to see. Okay. But. More than anything, <laughs> more than anything, what I would have liked out of that is for Daniel Day Lewis to have taken that role, done. I don't give a shit what he's going to do in the movie, but to <laughs> hear it into a drama. No, but to hear him talk about <laughs> it ten years later about the process of quote unquote becoming that character, becoming a pirate, and the, you know, immersion, becoming uh, you know, Shaw. the the method that he yes. went through and the experience that he had with it. And yeah. I would also like to hear Gina Davis and everyone else talk about working with Daniel Day Lewis on the set of Cutthroat. I Island. think we could just make the DVD extra ourselves. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So and ladies, ladies and gentlemen, the final one okay. to say no, Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, listen back to our hereditary listen episode. To the hereditary for, episode. for Ethan's feelings about Gabriel Byrne. Yeah. Do you think you would have enjoyed it or at least enjoyed watching it more with Gabriel Byrne than know. Matthew Modi? I I, I, I just there's something in me that says you would have enjoyed watching Gabriel Byrne more than Matthew Modine just because you would have had more of an emotional reaction to it. Yeah. Because I because I, 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 I don't think he, from what I can tell, you don't feel any particular way about Matthew Modine. I, I, you definitely no, feel some I, type I, I of give, way about Gabriel Byrne. Uh, yeah, and I, no, I like Gabriel. I I like Matthew Modine. I would give him the benefit of the doubt because of Full Metal Jacket, and he is like I think he's got the light heartedness to pull it off. He just doesn't. He's there's no chemistry there. I, it's just such a mess. I can't even make sense of yeah. it. Yeah, right. I mean, honestly, you, you know the the point you bring up here with Modine, it's it's true. Like. I can, he is the most bland of leading men. 
I feel that I can, I mean, like if I'm thinking like who is like the blank slate of leading men who I could just throw in, like it would yeah. have to be Matthew Modine. I mean, he's right up there with, and I'm, he really had not done much. I was yeah. looking over his list before this. I mean, they really were far down the list. I mean, yeah. I don't even remember these. You know, he did Full Metal Jacket and Married to the Mob. I remember yeah. those. But then it's like in Memphis Bell, kind of remember that. But then it's just like these forgot wind, Equinox. Yeah. He's in shortcuts, but that's memorable not because of him, it's because of Robert Altman. Right. Jacob, right. Bye Bye Love. Fluke is the film that he made that came out right before this where he plays uh he's a a a father who's dies and is reincarnated as a dog family dog okay so he now that sounds can can you think can you think of a more blank slate leading man of the time than matthew modine well because that list because 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 all of the people that come to mind for me as far as blank slates go Uh and that you can do whatever with are current day yeah um not you know, what was it, 95? Yeah, yeah, um, 95, yeah. Can you think of a, a mid-90s blank slate? What uh, what would have happened with Nick Cage in this role? Yeah. It would <laughs> have been that extremely been, interesting. That would have been really fun. They didn't even try that, apparently. I yeah. Guess. yeah. I they should know. have. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's, Huge it's one of those crazy things, though, because the company that made this is Carol Co., Right, and they this just a few them. years. It's this sunk them. This and Showgirls, yeah. Um, but especially this. But just a few years before, they had Terminator Two: Judgment Day. Also, and Basic Instinct. They yeah. made so much money, and it didn't matter. Yeah, because they squandered it. <laughs> they squandered <laughs> going, it. Going back to the last film we talked about, um, Rennie Harlan did Die Hard Two. Right, right. That's true. Um, yeah, and. Right after this, went on to make one of the classic films of the 1990s, Deep Blue Sea, sh- yeah. which has a shark in it. Which well, has a shark in call it. Call back to another episode. Call back to yeah. another episode. We yeah. love shark movies here at Beer and right. Movie. <laughs> and another movie of the that's very quintessential 90s to me, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, starring Andrew oh, Dice Clay. Oh, weird. Yeah, I didn't realize yeah. he had done that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I did, he just, he's got to be one of the creepier guys in Hollywood, I think. I noticed... noticed um, Rennie Harlan? Yeah. yeah. He, uh, you know, so they were married, and then they divorced shortly after he had a child with his assistant. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, but I will say this. Well, all right. There were some legit <laughs> some things in this in this film that were just so wacky that I just enjoyed that they got in there. Mm-hmm. Like uh the fact that they're carrying around this map that's on the skin, like is it from her dad's head? Who's this? Yes. Uh yeah. yeah, yeah she just like cuts carry, it from her dad's cut, head. Yeah. She cuts this map from her dad's scalp and it just still has it hair. It has hair yeah, on it. Yeah. yeah. And then there's another scene like in that sort of like outdoor market type area where they have a big fight and there's just these random tentacles flopping around Mm -hmm. just in the shot. Mm -hmm. Like at first they're like somebody like for selling them for food or something, but then they just keep finding their, their ways into the shot. Yeah. Like, so the film is not taking itself seriously. Unlike the next film we're going to talk about, The Postman, which is taking itself extremely seriously. So it is kind of enjoyable. And I will say, you know, again, this film is available via HBO. And I was watching it, and my wife said, um, oh, yeah, me and I just watched that. Like they had just watched it. I had fun just watching the. Watching it there. It's a fun movie. It's a fun little it's movie. It's a fun. I mean, I see. I think if, if, if you don't, if you hate pirate movies <laughs> as much as David Gurney does, that's, that's you me. will not You're enjoy this. And I, I can't fathom that. 
mm-hmm. point of view. I think pirate <laughs> movies are so much fun. <laughs> but it, if you hate pirate movies, stay away from this as you would stay away from every other pirate movie. If, <laughs> if you even slightly enjoy any of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, it's fun. Right. There's sword fights. There's all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's and you a can also fun have fun movie. making fun of it. Yeah, and and that, you can you can the tr- lousy subpar elements of it. I'll, you can I'll turn you your that. brain I'll off you and you can just enjoy some action sequences and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it's and a, there's beautiful it's a, scenery for there's sure. Beautiful scenery. It's a it's a it's a fine movie it is an okay Ooh, movie uh, okay <laughs> all right quotes it's, there it's, it's fine it's an okay movie. it's an okay movie you know what it's, but the it next doesn't movie... deserve to be like to have the reputation of being the this horrendous flop of all time versus I other, other than I the don't... fact that the budget got extremely bloated right and, and it was yeah. it cost way more than it should have to make this film if you're looking at it from like yeah. an insider's perspective like that where you're right. considering those things but if you're just looking right. at it on the merits of the film it right. probably doesn't deserve the bad reputation it has however i would say the postman which is the next movie we're about to talk That's about right. which is happening right now <laughs> might deserve a terrible reputation because fuck kevin costner ouch <laughs> <laughs> so sure enough, uh, earlier we were talking about Hudson Hawk as kind of this vanity project for Bruce Willis. Um, and The Postman is not exactly a vanity project, but it certainly Pretty is close. a Kevin Costner project, right? Um, this is Kevin Costner directing, as he yeah. had with Dances with Wolves, and very writing. successfully just a few years before. And writing, was it? Yeah, yeah, he was also. And um, producing. And producing. And starring, so th- this. Sorry, is- not writing, just directed yeah, no. and produced by. Um, yeah, my you're apologies. Right. Okay, uh, so we have him, you know, at least in three different categories here in terms of what he's contributing to the film. His children appear in the film. Yes, all but one of them. I think one was yeah, maybe it was just an a baby infant. or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so definitely a film and another actor at kind of the height of his success. Right, he had had Dances with Wolves. He had had. Although the bodyguard, the bodyguard, right? So the so the early '90s, late late '80s, definitely a big moment for Kevin Costner. He he could write his own ticket there, uh, so to speak. And so, what project does he lock into? It's The Postman, which was a successful novel based on a successful novel. Uh, 1985, David right. Brin, yes, which apparently it had some. Uh, uh, studio bidding wars uh, surrounding it, but a post-apocalyptic novel uh, set in the not too distant future. Now, of the five years past ago. <laughs> of 2013, um, where we have um, you know society is has, has fallen apart. Most most people have died. There's only a few people. There's been a plague remaining. Of sorts, There's right? plague and weather issues. I mean, it's kind of like this perfect storm of different things that were going on that just caused... But they don't dwell a lot upon No, that. they don't. They don't. No. But they mention some things. They, there's yeah. hints of things. So, But but we find ourselves in a world um, where there are many fewer people, technology is broken down, um, we're, we're kind of living a uh, agrarian existence again, right? We've gone back to... And it's set in the state. West. It's set in the West. Oregon, the primarily. Oregon. And you have this character, Kevin Costner, who uh, is never named, is is called the Postman. But r- before r- that, a little bit he's later, just the actor. Before that, he's just right because he's got Shakespeare. He gets yes. referred to as him. So he he stays out of these small he's encampments, a right? These civilizations that have popped up. Um, instead, he just kind of travels from 
town to town, offering his services as an actor, reciting some kind of bad versions of Shakespeare in order to get some food, maybe some new clothing, whatever, kind of trading with them this entertainment. Um, And yet he gets pulled into this army that exists there in this sort of lawless post-apocalyptic land called There the, is a bad guy. The wholeness who has a, has an army. Right? And we have uh Bethlehem, right? That's yes. the guy's name. Uh who who kind of leads them and there are these marauders who come and just kind of exact uh whatever they want from these encampments uh, that exist out there telling that you know like we we want these these crops, these whatever. Um and and so he gets pulled into that but gets himself out of it, sneaks away. And when he sneaks away, gets his hands on a U.S. postal uniform, and then presents in a big bag of mail. In a big bag of mail, and presents himself as a representative of the reformed states, reformed United States, reformed or reformed United states, states, yeah, yeah, of America. That the government has finally started pulling back together, and one of the things that they're doing is launching the postal service again, <laughs> because of course that would be a necessary thing. <laughs> Connecting these uh, remote encampments, <laughs> and uh, and you know ha- has a little trouble selling people on it, but eventually does, and even better than he realizes, and sort of inadvertently touches off this whole movement of people uh, reinvigorating the United States of America via the post office. Yeah. And uh, and then eventually turning that into a sort of army that fights against. Colonel Bethlehem, or whatever military rank he gives himself, Bethlehem, in his wholeness army, and uh, and and sort of bringing back uh, law and order to the yeah. So it all ends up okay in the end. Yes. So let's get right into what makes this movie so terrible. <laughs> okay, because it is, man. It it it's bad, and yet I will say, I I think you know. Do we not just get into what makes it so terrible? <laughs> I, no, no, just wait, because uh, yes, you're right though. Like the very premise is so terrible. <laughs> like, and the lesson here is that a science fiction fantasy—it's not science fiction, I guess—fantasy from 1985 that does really well as a novel does not necessarily make a good movie. Uh, the premise is so awful, right? That the the postman is going to just like inspire people to like overcome the, their awful lives. Uh, oh my God, it just, you know, Dave says he has a little bit of trouble and then he finally uh, convinces people he's the postman. The way it happens, he, he goes to this like this encampment where all these people are living and they want to know why he's there and what his story is. And he's telling them, oh, I'm the postman. I've got all this smell. And he says, oh, yeah, well, is it for anyone here? And so he reads some random names. And one person, it turns out, he does. He has a letter for one one woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like an older older lady and kind of half, I don't know, she's supposed to be blind or something. She's clearly not a blind person doing a really bad job, job of acting blind. <laughs> and uh, not very consequential, but she reads a the letter, then immediately... They all just love him so much. <laughs> and there's this great line, like the daughter says, or the woman, I can't remember which, says to him, you're a savior. You're a godsend. And he says, no, I'm the postman. <laughs> and like, and then he's welcomed with open arms. They love him so much. All of a sudden, he's inspiring people. He meets Lorenz Tate 
from menace to society Mm -hmm. and transforms him into a postman. Right. And people love him so much. Immediately, there's this attractive woman, and she comes right up to him and says, my husband and I can't have a baby. Will you impregnate me? (laughs) Like that. Like within hours. I mean, we're not even talking about... Like 15 minutes. And he's like, well, I'm not really comfortable with this, but... He becomes comfortable like five minutes later, mm-hmm. and, so, and there's a scene. As you do, and so then they 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 had their love making scene with very limited tasteful nudity, I guess. But they <laughs> they make sure that you understand that they had sex multiple times. Mm-hmm. That yes, Kevin Costner made sure. I want people to know that when I'm impregnating some a married woman. I, I go the full right, you know, it's, multiple it's, yeah. times. Right. Yeah, and then after this scene, she leaves. <laughs> and by the way, the actress is Olivia Williams, who I recognize immediately from. She is the teacher slash love Ms. interest yeah. in um, Rushmore. Yeah, right? yeah, Miss Cross, and also would be, gling ding 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 ding, Bruce Willis's wife in The Sixth Sense. Oh, that's right. After I've never this. seen it. But she immediately goes back to her husband, and, you know, this is seen as, oh, okay, so she just had, like, passionate sex with the postman, mm-hmm. and the husband looks at her, and he just says, you are everything, and they embrace, and it's really meaningful. So Two, you know he's got to die. Yeah, no, he had to. He had to. Two questions, um, or one is more of a comment than a question. Olivia Williams is great in Rushmore. Yeah, yeah, she is. I just feel like we need to yeah. say that. Um, why the fuck is Tom Petty in this movie? Oh, <laughs> now that's... The, you're, okay. you're jumping now ahead. A, you're, you are jumping ahead. So, so yeah. No, I'm sorry. You're, you're right. The, di- sorry. the dialogue, I think... The, now, here's, here's where the... Now, I did not enjoy this film, okay? And it, it, f- there's <laughs> lots of things wrong with it. The dialogue, as you've already pointed it's terrible. out, there's some shitty writing in this film. Really bad, yeah. The, the, uh, the pacing... Is terrible. I mean, this is a three-hour movie. It could easily have been made. Yeah, hour forty-five minutes. It's not two uh, hours tops. The, yeah, the, it's like an hour just like the first act. Of, yeah, just to, yeah. to get him in that army and escape before he even becomes the post. That's right. Yeah. The, but the concept, it's kind of it was kind of weird watching it, never having seen it in its time. Yeah. And and I know there were post-apocalyptic films before it, but certainly I think since then. The post-apocalyptic genre has has sort of you know only grown since. Haven't we talked about multiple post-apocalyptic yeah, films in this I podcast? Mean, yeah, I, I think, think like Book of uh, Eli. Yeah, it's it's Denzel, hard not it's I mean, hard not know. to right. But but even you know the the thing that this made me think of the most, and not even so much in terms of tone, but like the encampments and the way that the army was kind of being handled. Walking Dead and weird. Yes, like absolutely. The, I, I kept thinking of the Walking kept, Dead. <laughs> It, which which a lot of people I mean honestly I'm I'm kind of at the end of my rope with yeah. it as well. It's Wait, kinda, just now? Well, no. For <laughs> for the past couple seasons, although things keep it's dragging me back. I was going to say I got to like season three, and but we're like, talking multiple seasons of that. They did like three or four yeah. really solid yeah. seasons of television, so you can drag that sort of story out. But this film really makes it feel like terrible. Well, <laughs> how dragged out it gets. But, but here's the other thing. Man, it seems pretty great to me. I mean, it's supposed to be post-apocalyptic. Yeah, they're living, like you said, it's like this agrarian, more agrarian life. They're it's they're in the West. It's beautiful. It's not like the road or something where there's no, like true. acid it's not, rain. It's no, like, it's, or Book of Eli or, or any of those things. Yeah, it's like no. it's beautiful. The it's mountains. Trying- it's really great. And and not only that, but 
they live in these like to me it's not dystopian it's more utopian they live in these great little communities where they get together at night and they have acoustic jam sessions that's right people dance (laughs) dance they like play yacht rock (laughs) there's a come and get your love (laughs) yeah they play come Come and get get your love love. i mean it looks terrific i mean yeah there's this one asshole that's got his army right but um you know if they would just get rid of him which they do yeah, it's pretty great. It's gonna the be only great. way the movie could have been better is if those acoustic jam sessions included Africa by Toto. <laughs> well, I bet you that then, was on the set list. That then been, that, then that would be a truly utopian society. Now, uh, I want to come back to the three-hour <laughs> so, runtime real quick yeah. just because when the fuck has Kevin Costner made a movie that wasn't overly drawn out? I mean, if we're t- I mean, first of all, Kevin Costner's directed three movies. None of what? them are worth watching. Um, <laughs> Open Range? It's really a TV movie, really. Open Range is good for the last 20 minutes. I saw that movie in a theater, and I remember going to see it with my dad and my grandfather, and I remember being like... <laughs> and then, and then finally, something? at the end, it gets crazy, and I was like, "Hell yeah!" Because I mean, I don't know. That movie yeah. came out in what two thousand three? Well, I was eleven yeah. or twelve. Or and something he hasn't like directed that. that many movies, but he is extremely, as a producer, involved, very involved. Yeah. So, he, and even like taking over with Waterworld and For Wyatt sure. Earp. I was is another I was one, actually, another big bloated. Uh, film. I was actually surprised when I was looking at his filmography because I thought that he had directed Waterworld. Well, just from what I've heard about it, yeah. Supposedly, um, Kevin Reynolds still has the yeah, credit. He has the credit, but everything I've ever heard about Waterworld is that it's a quote unquote Kevin Costner movie. Right. And I also have not heard anything good about Waterworld. <laughs> I mean, and any time that anybody has ever talked to, I, I mean, I never saw it just because. I've only heard negative things and I was like, I'm not going to sit through three hours of this, but I just don't, there are some directors and even though I do love a lot of his movies, I think Paul Thomas Anderson falls victim to this that just cannot pace a film mm. that are just too mm. long. That's another episode. I don't yeah. want to get into but, it. But, but Kevin yeah. Costner, Kevin you're Costner right. He cannot, cannot he pace cannot. And, a movie. And the worst thing is, I mean, this is, I was talking about schadenfreude earlier. This truly, you can just watch this and think, oh, he thinks he's being so artistic and it's just terrible. He he does think it's over directed in a way where he'll have like these weird angles on shots that make no sense. Actors yeah. actress turned directors can sometimes be, you know, some of the worst transitions well, that you know. How about I, rapper turned singer? No. Sometimes <laughs> Childish Gambino did it well. It's true. I no, mean, come on. Yeah, T Pain. Yes, that 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 yeah that is yeah. So. The pacing is weird. The the concept is kind of it. That, I do. That, there there's part of me that kind of likes. Okay, let's take this genre that tends to be so downbeat and kind of uh, pessimistic and cynical, and let's do something a little more optimistic. And like, there's part of me that kind of likes that. But then the way that they wrap that in this kind of almost jingoistic kind of celebration of America, like the. There was something a little bit freaky, and maybe it's just our political moment that I'm in that that is making me feel that. But like the way that it gets so much about like the United States and like the United States is what needs to come back, and this is the USA, and the, like towards the end of the film, that really kind of I just couldn't get over how so Kevin Costner, the postman, inspires everybody when he comes back. Lorenz Tate, who whose character goes by the awesome name Ford Lincoln Mercury. That is cool. Yeah. I do I do like that, that touch. Yeah. yeah. But he when he comes back, Lorenz Tate has been so moved just by the fact that Kevin Costner gave this old lady a letter 
that he has like sewed his own postman uniform. It's true. And all these people, they create their own little fake U- U.S. Yeah. patches. Yeah. They wear matching red scarf. They're not exactly matching because it's a post-apocalyptic world, right. so you have just like leftovers, but they have whatever you can use that's kind of a red scarf. They mm-hmm. all wear them. Instead of actually spending the time to think about how can we make this world like look and seem like there's been something horrible happen, we'll just like spend a lot of money on the wardrobe. That's right. You don't get like the burnt out buildings or the like Nothing weird like hollowed out factories. And, and so, in fact, I mean, you're talking about wa- abandoned the prisons. walking dead. Like the yeah. walk- and I kept, I was thinking, like these people don't know how good they've got it. <laughs> okay. You know, they, basically, they are living the Walking Dead like without having right. to worry about zombies, which is all they now, were, like. They would be so happy if they didn't have to fight zombies. You're right. You're Quick right. question: What is the apocalypse that happened? Well, it's it's kind of a combination of things, right? There's there's clearly some weather aspects to it. There's clearly some disease aspects. They, they refer to, to it. the plague. Yeah. So that it it's never yeah. clearly stated. Climate but, change. Yeah. It seems like. Partially climate change, partially disease, partially. Yeah. But <laughs> but get they back, couldn't pick one. Now now we're at a point where I think we need to address the Tom Petty in the room. Yes, and that's Tom Petty. <laughs> <laughs> Bridge City. That's Mayor. the name of this episode. The Tom Petty in the <laughs> but, room. Okay, R.I.P. And the reason I bring it up because so Ethan and I were talking about this as and, I was and, still and let us for a second, you know, a moment. Tom Petty. I said Petty. I said R.I.P. just now. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Well, that wasn't enough of. Let's highlight. Let's underscore this R.I.P. Let's be clear about the greatness of Tom Petty. I mean, Tom Petty, the traveling Wilburys. I mean, yeah. No. A a great, amazing uh, musician who we we are all lucky to have had. He comes in towards the very end. I mean, he's like one of the last. Like, and there he is, man. He's got, and he he. It's like, I guess I got inspired by that video of his, You Got Lucky, wasn't that it? For like Tom Petty I had a post-apocalyptic so, yeah. video back yep. in the 80s. Yep. But he has the same, they didn't like, that's Tom Petty. They didn't like it his is, hair because or that's anything. the thing, it's that's what like, I was going to say. We were talking about this a little bit. Like <laughs> is it Tom Petty as Tom Petty? And, or is, and you said it wasn't Tom Petty as Tom Petty. But clearly when <laughs> he meets him, when Kevin Costner, the postman, meets him, he says, yeah, I know who you are. You're famous. And he's like, oh, I used to be. Or maybe I, you know, like there's clear, they never say, oh, you're the rock star Tom Petty, but there's this knowing kind of like, oh. It's just so weird that it, it's him. It is kind of weird, but it's lovely. And he talks just like, I mean, like there's nothing. He's not doing a character. A character. He's like, hey, man, we're doing it. Hey, like, the hey. machine's working well, man. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it, dude. And I mean, it was. And when Kevin Costner gets in this thing and he flies across the air, Tom yeah. Petty goes, now you're free. <laughs> I, i'm sorry i couldn't help myself it, it was wonderful like I, to me that that, <laughs> that sequence with him coming i think it was bridge city he's the mayor of yes. or whatever like having them show up there it came really late it was really way too late in the film to really resuscitate it but that alone had i seen it in 1997 I think I would have loved the idea, like, oh man, finally. I, probably I would have fallen asleep in my theater seat, but once I woke up and it was Tom Petty on the screen, I think I would have been pretty And I happy. think that this is the film, a kind of film like, okay, so Hudson Hawk, eh, I don't think that will ever like impact you in a positive way. But <laughs> this film, if you watch this with some friends, mm-hmm. it's the kind of film that I feel like for years afterward, you would just recite lines to each other and it'd be an insight because it's so like such an experience and ridiculousness. And it does have these really bad dud lines. Like, yeah, I'm the postman. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and these these shots with his kids, they're just, like I said, over directed slow motion. Kevin Costner riding a horse and reaching down and grabbing this letter from a little kid. Mm-hmm. Oh my! Which Lord. which gets cast into a statue at the very end yes. of the film, right? So yes. we jump and forward thirty which years. Is one of his end. children yeah. in real life, right? Yes. Right, played by Mary Stuart Masterson. Oh my yeah. god! So you know, it, it's it is a weird curio of the time. I will say, I'm I'm kind of glad I've seen it, if only yeah. because I remember it as this notorious flop and that it was this you know, moment where it, it seemed to be the nail in the coffin of Kevin Costner as leading man who can choose his own projects. And people have not turned over money to him to make a lot of stuff. Right. Now, I mean, like, certainly <laughs> certainly he's had roles and he's not, like, he can still act and, and, and that's fine. But n- nothing since then. Yeah. Well, yeah, I will admit that one of the formative moments in my life was after watching Dances with Wolves um, being, like, one of the only people in my high school, or at least that I knew that had seen it and really hated it. Oh. And feeling like, why doesn't why people, doesn't people like this? this? Always the country. I have to like, <laughs> somehow, little did I know I'd end up doing yeah. a podcast, um, but it made me think, maybe I need to like do something yeah. with criticism. I will say, <laughs> it's it's too bad that Waterworld wasn't a flop. Have because have PhD later. We could watch it and talk about it. I do it. remember loving that film, actually. That, that was Which one? one? That I, Waterworld. Hey. I really did. Dennis Hopper. I don't know. Anyway. Dennis that, Hopper. That's, yeah, yes. So. Well, okay. I think we, we have definitely uh, taken our listeners on a tour of some of the worst or or at least uh, the, the the worst performing films of the 90s. And uh, there, there are definitely some that um, I would like to defend at some point on this podcast. (laughs) Sure, yeah, and and I think you know, as uh, as Ethan brought us into this episode, this is you know this theme of box office failures or flops or or bombs. We'll revisit it again. We'll we'll look at some others from other decades. You're gonna get a a box office bombs episode for me at some point. Yeah, for sure. Curate. You'll curate us one. Yeah, for sure. sure. I have many thoughts and opinions on some of these films. But Carlos, I'm curious before we forget, how did you feel about this pirate noir? I know it's in your wheelhouse. So you're, you're, you're happy with, uh, you know that I liked it. Did you get the rum? Did you, did you, you know, I didn't get, um, I got a little bit of it, but it Mm -hmm. wasn't super heavy. And, um, Based on the beer we had earlier in this episode, I imagine that you've been sitting on this one for a little while. A little bit. Um, So that tells me that maybe some of that really intense in-your-face rum beer flavor has kind of subsided a little Mm bit. Um, But I I mean, I enjoyed it a great deal. You know, I love a stout, and um, a barrel-aged stout is even better. Um, At 12%, can't complain. Mm -hmm. Very full beer. I enjoyed it. Were I to run into it at my local beer emporium, 100% would pick it up. All right. Um, so, so maybe not buy that ticket to the Postman or okay, <laughs> or definitely, Hawk. definitely to Cutthroat Island. But Cutthroat Island, you want to watch yeah. Cutthroat Island? I want to leave you with one more. Okay. Of the great quotes from the film, you're no general. You're not even a good painter. It doesn't make shots fired. Shots fired. That's right. I yeah. can't remember. He's a, to, to, that was to is Bethel. He, he's yeah. supposed to be like Hitler. Is that a Hitler reference? I don't even know. I think it's time for us to uh, say that's it for this episode of Beer in a Movie. And it's uh, been a good one. Yeah, I think so. And we hope you've enjoyed hearing about some of these uh, flops. 
and that you might hit us up on social media. Do you have some flops that you would like us to watch? Um, please. Certainly. Please let us know yeah. because I... If there's anything that I want to do, it's go to bat for underrated movies. Yeah. So, from time to time, it's worth doing that. I love it. These aren't those films. I'm, 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 I'm all about an underdog story. Come find us on facebook.com slash beer and a movie TX. It's uh, beer and a movie on Instagram. Um, I believe we're up on Twitter as beer we are and on a movie. Twitter. Right? I think a beer and a movie show is beer the and Twitter? a movie show. Okay. Something like that. And uh, and we even have our own website, beerinamoviepodcast.com. You Check can, it out. I update it with every uh, episode that we post. Excellent. So uh, come there, talk to us, uh, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, as Carlos often uh, encourages us uh, or encourages you as listeners. Give us reviews uh, on the uh, Apple podcasts, on you know whatever platform you happen to be listening on. And that helps others to find us or uh, at least understand what we're doing. So, Stop uh, this podcast and get on with your life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.